Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's incredibly special episode of TCCP is none other than Leicestershire and former Glamorgan seam sensation, Roman Walker. So Roman, first things first, mate, thank you ever so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'll be completely honest. Uh, I got out of bed about half an hour ago. Um, day off. I've had a nice weekend away. And uh, yeah, that's that's how my that's how my day's been. So it's not really been a day so far. It's been a 30-minute shift to get yourself oh, out of bed and yeah, onto the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woke up. Uh, I had nothing better to do than stick football manager on for a couple of games, taking Wrexham up the leagues. But uh, that that all got too much for me when a couple of injuries came along, so I gave it up. You can't give up <laughs> on football manager. That's no, not you the can't. attitude. No, I'll, I'll go back to it later. I know I will. As just, it's not something I want to deal with on a Monday morning. It was a stupid idea to go on it in the first place. And if you don't mind me asking, Roman, what, uh, what league have you currently got Wrexham in on football manager? Top of League One, 12 games in. That's not bad. I love it. I love it. And I'm trying, you know, it's, I don't know why, it's something in the back of my head. I just want to keep as many lads who are playing now in the squad as possible. And, uh, you know, you see, I do, I like watching these videos of the people who do play it and how they go about it and stuff. Um, very geeky on that sort of thing. I, I do, I, I do like that. Uh, but, you know, that sometimes they'll do like a rebuild of, I don't know, Scunthorpe. And they'll just start replacing all the players, obviously for better players and stuff. You're like, fair enough. But for me, because, well, Wrexham's my home, you know, and, and these lads have made me so proud over the last couple of years. Um, I just want to keep them. They've got a special special place in my heart, every single one of them, and I, I hate letting them go. Yeah, I completely understand that. I used to be like that on FIFA, to be honest. Yeah. When I was taking teams up the leagues, I was like, ah, oh, well... He's an absolute bags man. I want to keep him. He was banging in goals left, right, and centre in League Two. Can he make it in the Prem? Probably not, but squad rotation yeah, player. Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm almost certainly going to have a 38 year old Paul Mullin playing in the Prem. It's only right. That is football manager heritage. Might exactly. be even football heritage, to be honest, at this rate. The, the way in which Wrexham and Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney are going. Goodness me, it's been quite the story, hasn't it? But yeah, yeah we can probably pick up that conversation later on in the podcast, Roma, because I'm aware, of course, we are the County Cricket Podcast, not the, the Wrexham FC podcast, although they have been doing very, very well indeed. And yeah, probably do require a bit of a shout out for today's episode. But just for those of you out there who are maybe new or not familiar to how we operate here at the County Cricket Podcast, essentially today is just a nice laid back chat with Roman about his County Cricket story to date. And Roman, as is the case with any good story, I think it's only right that we start at the origin, the beginning of the Roman Walker cricketing story. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? Um, my first my first genuine memories of it, um, and I think my mum's got a picture somewhere, were uh, actually at a club called Bersham Cricket Club. That's where my dad first took me down and my, my dad was playing for him. Um, and he was he was a good player. My dad, he was a good club player, you know, um, good bowler. I think he played a game for Wales Manor Counties as well. So he 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 knows the game as well, as much as I hate to admit it. Um, and he'll be giggling if he listens, if he listens to this. 
Um, but uh, yeah, no, so I, I think my first memory was watching my dad uh, rolling and bowl at Bersham. They had this big hill at one side and cow fields all around, well, three sides of the ground. So you'd have the cows and the bulls out and stuff and you'd have to jump over the fence to go and grab the ball. Um, and it was, it was, you know, it was good fun. And, and it's, a, it's a very simple cricket club. It, they had a... Um, they had a port cabin as a as a pavilion. Um, you know, there'd be leaks and all sorts, and and the toilets may not work. But it was it was such a such a nice club to be around at that time. Um, and then I had to move from Bersham uh, because well, I was playing under thirteens and fifteens, I think, when I was about eight or nine. Um, whether that was down to me or or lack of lack of kids in them age groups, um, I don't know, but. I had to move then onto Mark Wheel, where is where I spent six or seven years, and and they really did boost my my cricket, which I can't thank them enough for. It's a wonderful, wonderful club. Well, I'm glad to hear that because it's always nice, isn't it, when you've got that initial journey into the game of cricket and it gets off to a good start, which quite clearly it did at both those teams. And Roman, you mentioned your dad, just in case he's tuning in to today's episode of the podcast after you've already picked up his cricketing skill and his cricket knowledge. What is your dad's name? Just to give him a bit of a shout out for today's episode. Uh, Brian Walker. Brian with a Y. Um, big bad Brian, they used to call him. Uh, <laughs> he, he was, oh, you know, he was so fun watching him play cricket because he just, he, he shouts at me when I, uh, when I lose my rag sometimes on a pitch, but he was, he was prime for it when he was bowling. Like a, a prime Dale yeah. Stain or, or Brett Lee? Well, I, I would say more Vernon Philander. He had fast spells in him, Dad. He, he, he had fast spells in him. Um, and I remember this 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 one time. Um, and I will, just to clarify, because he's going to shout at me otherwise. He, he didn't lose his rag as such. He, um, he would just get really fired up. And I loved it. And, you know, that's where I get, that's where I get my fire in the belly from. Um, but, yeah, he was... It was it was great to actually play, but it was not it was nice that I could play with him because he stopped playing cricket um, not long after I moved on from Mark Wheel, I think, to a team called Oswestry in the Birmingham League. Um, so yeah, no, I, I do as as I'm growing older, I'm starting to look back and, and treasure memories like that because uh, I know a lot of people, whatever stage or whatever standard it's at, don't get the chance to you know play with their parents or their, their brothers and 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 sisters and what have you. So. No, it's it's nice memories to have, really. It really is, and it's very special, isn't it? I think that a number of the listeners out there who have had the opportunity to play with family members will say the exact same thing. It's it's an experience which you can't really replicate in terms of the the memorable nature of it, and I suppose the uniqueness. You know, it is incredibly special. It's something which I've not had the chance to do, but that's because yeah, my brother and my dad cannot stand the game of cricket. They really can't. They barely even like football. So I highly doubt I'm going to be sharing the 22 yards with either of them anytime yeah. soon. But you mentioned your dad, and I think it's quite clear that both your parents have had a massive influence, to be honest, on your early days in terms of helping out with club cricket and essentially putting you on the right steps on this journey, Roman. But aside from family influences... Who in the professional game itself, either at domestic or indeed at international level, did you look up to in those formative years? Did you have any icons, any idols, any role models or influences who you almost looked up to in those early years, per se? Yeah, so I, 
obviously, I grew up at a great time for English cricket. Um, you know, I born in 2000, so I was I would have been four turning five in the 2005 Ashes. Um, and I remember, do you know what? It's an even earlier cricket memory maybe than watching my dad play. Um, we were on, well, we were lucky enough to get a hotel room with a balcony at Old Trafford. I think it was day three of the Ashes test, um, which was amazing. And and the people next door to us, I, rem- I remember this clearer than any of the cricket that was going on. They had these massive cardboard cutouts um, of the players' faces. So that I think there was like a Matt Pryor, there was a Monty Panasar, um, I think met probably a Freddie Flintoff and a, and a KP. Um, and yeah, that 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 sort of stuff, you know, <laughs> that was amazing to see. And, and and that's that's where I think I got my enjoyment with cricket is seeing how much other people loved it and enjoyed it, and seeing how much my dad loved it and enjoyed it. Um, so you know, and going on to sort of idols and stuff, I'm not really the type of person to to stick someone up on a pedestal and and really you know idolize them. But the people who I just loved watching. And again, this is this is because I grew up at the right time for cricket in England. Was was KP, who was unbelievable, um, and and Freddie, and uh, I was lucky enough to meet Freddie actually this season. And uh, I I was less starstruck than I thought I would be. I, I you know I was saying to the lads, um, <laughs> so the situation was I, I got a call from Tom Smith, who's now the second team coach at Yorkshire, used to be the bowling coach at Leicester. And um, he'd called Dips Patel up, our second team coach, and said, oh, look, have you got any good fielders? We need a good fielder for um, for a 12-man gig at Headingley. Um, and it was a one, I think it would have been a one-day match against Ireland. It eventually got rained off, unfortunately. But So I, I got the gig for that. And, you know, I went up and I'd seen that Freddie would, was in and around the coaching staff when they were down in Cardiff. Um, so I was like, oh, Christ. He could be there, you know, and he could be there. And I'm scared to meet him because I don't know, you know, I've uh, I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of high profile people in cricket. And I've never really been sort of stuck for words or starstruck in any way. But the the one person I was saying to the to the Leicester boys, I was saying the one person that I reckon could sort of <laughs> uproot me in, in terms of speaking and, and being sort of, good with people is is Freddie. And uh, now I, th- I think, that, I remember I was in the changing room, we were doing keepy-ups with a ball or something. I was just off on my own. I was playing around with a rugby ball, I reckon. And Freddie walked in, he had sunglasses on and his hood up. So I didn't recognise him at first when he walked in and then he just sort of walked over, sunglasses off, shook my hand and I was like, oh my God. Like, because it was such a brief first meeting, I think I didn't have the chance to sort of be like, oh, I have, oh my god, don't know what to say. Um, so it was that was really nice, and that was as I count myself lucky, really, with stuff like that. Um, especially with what he's been through recently. Um, and you know, it's I think he, he carries on to be an inspiration away from cricket as well, with everything that he's gone through, you know, and and the changes he's made in his life for the better. Um, just just a very inspirational human being, but I was lucky enough, you know, I probably sat down for 40, 45 minutes just chatting to him because we were all in the changing room and it was raining outside and there was no cricket ever going to be played. Um, just chatting to him, you know, and, and yeah, it was a, it was a very surreal situation for, for me. Um, you know, just a, a normal lad from Wrexham 
sitting there with with Joe Root and and Freddie Flintoff and Adil Rashid popping his head around the corner and how are you going? Wow, what is going on here? Um, but now what what a experience that is. I I would say I'd, I'd say number one would be Freddie Flintoff, um, and number two would be KP just because he was he was unbelievable, wasn't he? Yeah, to be honest, they both were. And as you mentioned, Freddie just transcends the sport, doesn't he? So obviously, through the likes of Top Gear, he was on a league of their own. He went into boxing at one point yeah. as well, didn't he, Freddie Flintoff? I mean, he's pretty not, much... Not the greatest boxer I've ever seen, I'll give that, but fair play to him for, for doing it. Yeah, an attempt was made. I think that's safe to say. Like, I do respect him for getting in the ring. It's not an easy thing at all. But yeah, if anyone's seen the, the clip of him boxing, I think Anthony Joshua was on, on the panel at the same time as well. Let's just say he isn't the next Tyson Fury, but in terms of cricket, Freddie is one of the most just mesmerising cricketers of all time. He made things happen. And you mentioned the 2005 Ashes, that spell to Ricky Ponting. Goodness gracious me, that is one of the greatest bowling spells in the history of our game. And then he had the one against Callis as well when we played South Africa. He is just a titan. Of, of English cricket and one of our finest ever all-rounders. And just to touch upon the 2005 Ashes in particular, Roman, because any excuse to talk about that series, mm. I will take. I've done it many a time on this podcast. I absolutely love discussing that series in particular, given the fact that England won. So in terms of that series, Roman, if you could go back in time and relive just one day, one match from that most iconic of cricketing encounters between England and Australia, which day, which moment would you choose, and why? Cool. I th- it would be the it would be the final day at Old Trafford for me. Like the just, but the, the whole day in general, you know, the the amount of people that were queuing up outside of the ground, just that sort of atmosphere. That the and Old Trafford is such a good ground for that anyway. But the, just the atmosphere and. And and the amount of people who were enjoying themselves and actually, you know, it it it, it was a point where you look. Obviously, I wasn't thinking this at the time because I was so young. But you look back and you think that this group of lads has just opened the eyes of so many people for cricket, and and just the way they played as well. I think that that final day was was uh, if I'm remembering correctly was pretty pretty special at Old Trafford. Um, and yeah, that that's definitely something I go back to. And obviously, that's a, it's a personal connection for me because I was there on day three as well, which was which was something <laughs> something I still can't believe. But yeah, just just amazing. It really is, and it's interesting actually. I don't think we've had that answer on the podcast before, so that's a unique one to be honest, Roman. Again, I, I, think, the... I think that's more because that's more because I was there. Um, during that, at some point during that test match. Yeah, but still, I mean, it was a fantastic test match, wasn't it? And as you oh, mentioned, yeah. the crowds, like when you look at the overhead of that and you had thousands of people queuing for tickets, they were never going to get one. But that just made the, the, the occasion a spectacle, didn't it? And it was a great test match that ultimately yeah. it was a draw. And I still yeah. remember, actually, I think it's from, might have been from the Channel 4 documentary, but when England looked back on that and they saw how Australia celebrated a draw, that's when they knew the series had probably turned exactly, in their favour yeah. because yeah. Australia didn't celebrate draws, did they? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think if I'm on about the same documentary, it's one where it was Chris Evans was there, 
doing interviews. Stephen Fry was there doing interviews, and man, I'm a massive fan of Stephen Fry. I love it. My dad brought me up on QI and all that, so I, I love him to bits. Um, and that's where I actually found out that he liked cricket, Stephen Fry. I was just like, oh, he was actually there. Oh, he loved it, and, and he was speaking about this so much passion and the history of cricket and English cricket. I was like, oh, Christ. he loves it. Um, so you know that, but that like that that one Test match, I think. I think I remember, was it Michael Vaughan said that that was the point where they realised that they had Australia under the pump because they celebrated draws. And um, they'd never done that, ever. Well, no, they hadn't. And it was just a great test match, wasn't it? It was Brett Lee and, and Glenn McGrath with the heroics in the end, in that third test at Old Trafford. And yeah, after that, I think we all remember the fourth test, in particular at Trent Bridge, Freddie scoring the century. That infamous run-out of Ricky Ponting by Gary Pratt. A, yeah. a hero, a court hero of English cricket for the rest of time is Gary Pratt for that run-out. And obviously the way in which Ponting reacted, mouthing off at the England balcony, was absolutely cinematic, wasn't it, to be honest? But an incredible series. And as you mentioned beforehand, Roman, the impact of that is absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? The way in which it captured an entire nation's imagination do you think you would have got into cricket without that series? Um, well, it's very much speculation, isn't it? I, th- I think I definitely would have got into into cricket. Um, at what level of passion, I don't know. Um, because that's always in. The, I mean, the the domino effect that that series had for well, for English cricket in general. I mean, no wonder we've gone on to be such a a, a, a titan in cricket. Because, I mean, you look at results for, for English cricket from that series onwards, we've been very, very, very good um, and very average at points as well, which everybody has. Um, and them average points, like, obviously every team can have bad spells and everyone goes through it individually as well. But the very fact that the country and the fans were were so unhappy that we were doing badly or just doing average, or we should have won that game, we drew it. You know, it it was just a massive turning point in in the mentality of English cricket, that we're a winning side, that we should be beating Australia and we should be beating South Africa. You know, and and these these are teams that have have ruled cricket for God knows how long. Well, yeah, it was a turning point, wasn't it? It was a catalyst in many ways for changing the, the mentality of the Test Arena in England and Wales and... It was just a breathtaking series, wasn't it, in the end? And I still think the crazy thing about that series, England lost the opener at Laws. Glenn McGrath got Marcus Truscothic as his 500 test wicket. And after that, in particular, Edgebaston, Edgebaston just stands out above any other test match in history, to be honest, in my opinion. But just the, the impact, the legacy that that series has had, I think is unparalleled. And I sincerely hope that we get something similar to that in the future because we've got potential with basketball. We really do. That was a fantastic really do, yeah. summer yeah. that we had in 2023, but goodness me, that 2005 series, yeah. it, it makes you smile now. It's been 18 years. Yeah. So well, that, that's yeah, the thing. I, I, think, I, I don't think we'll ever get a series like that again, because I don't think we'll ever get to a point where we've had 20 years of build up to a, to a series like that. Um, because we're so good now and because the structure of English cricket is so good with the ECB and, and the PCA now involved, 
looking after players on a on a different level, um, I think there's it's it's a very efficient way to just keep churning out very very good teams. Um, and I think I think England's not so strong team is still a lot better than a lot of the other teams that maybe even England have put out in the past, but team other teams that have 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 been uh, putting out teams. I think we're in such a good spot as a as a nation. Um, I don't think we'll ever get a, a series like that with with that much emotion in it. I think there'll, there'll be some amazing series. There'll be some seriously good games, seriously good test matches. But in terms of emotion and you know getting one over on on a on a rival who's had one who's you know controlled the game for so long, I just don't see England getting to that point again. Yeah, I think that is a very important piece of context, isn't it? The fact that England lost every single series in the 1990s against Australia, at least in men's cricket. So, yeah. goodness me, it was a very, very rough time, to be honest, to be an England fan. But 2005 just injected fresh energy, fresh optimism, fresh enthusiasm into the Test Arena. And, yeah, we are reaping the rewards as of yeah. 2023. As you mentioned, even in... In national counties cricket now and the UCCA, we're seeing some great cricketers. We mm. really are. I mean, the current system that we've got, obviously it's got its flaws and there's a lot of controversy about the scheduling in particular for 2024, but the, the structure itself is generating some very, very good cricketers. So definitely a very exciting period for the game here in England and Wales. And Roman, we touched upon beforehand the, the likes of Freddie Flintoff, the likes of Brett Lee, Glenn McGrath, to name but a few. We have spoken a lot about seam bowling, but we haven't actually touched upon your journey into the art form itself. So in terms of bowling seam in particular and bowling fast, where did that originate from? Why did Roman Walker become a seam bowler as opposed to a keeper, a specialist bat, or even a spin bowler? Well, the, you know, I've not actually had this conversation with my dad. It's actually a really good question I should probably ask him. Um, but I think... It certainly wasn't natural. I, I wouldn't have thought. Um, I, I think my because my dad was a seam bowler um, and he'd never done anything else. He's six foot three himself, um, so you know I, I can't imagine he'd put much thought into wicket keeping. Um, so I think it, it was it was probably the easiest way for him to to teach um, to teach me something about cricket. So yeah, I, th I think. I do remember bowling in the nets at a few of the first team or second team lads when I was very, very young. Um, and it was just, you know, roll up and bowl the ball and it just went from there, really. Well, that's a very interesting answer, to be honest, because given that connection with your dad, I would have thought automatically it would have been a case of, right, well, he bowls seam, I have to bowl seam. But in your case, that actually wasn't the case yeah, well, again, I've, I've not really asked him the question but my my thinking would be that no on knowing my dad he he would have been a bit more right here's a ball do do what you think you should do with it I suppose or here's a couple of pointers um and then if it looks like I'm I'm gonna bowl seam then take it from there um but I know as, as soon as as soon as there is a sort of path laid out where it's like right he looks like he wants to bowl seam. There we go. Then my dad would have been 110% into that. And that's the important thing, isn't it? It's about having that support network and the help from your dad in the first place to 
take you on the right steps in that path. And in terms of seam bowling itself, Roman, what is your favourite aspects of seam bowling as a discipline? Why do you love this so much? What makes you get up in the morning and go, I'm going to go out there, bowl as fast as I can, as accurate as I can, put absolutely everything into this discipline? Why does Roman Walker love the arts of seam bowling? Uh, I, do you know what? I've not got a straightforward answer here because it bloody hurts. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> and I, do you know? <laughs> you always you always find like ex players and stuff. They go, "Who would be a seam bowler?" I mean, <laughs> my feet are gone. My toes, my toenails are horrible. Um, you know. <laughs> But I, I th- to me, I think the first thing that comes to mind is is that it can either be a very tough mental game, which you have to push yourself through, and and you almost feel rewarded after it if you come out having done an okay job. You know, you might have got one for sixty off twenty five overs or something, but it, it it just depends how you look on it. Like if it's a really flat deck, then you go, okay, well, I've kept my run rate down. I've I've done what I could. Maybe not taking as many wickets as I'd like to, but you never do, really. I'd like to take five every game, but I'm not going to do that. Um, or, you know, it, it can flip the other way around where you can bowl an unbelievable spell of three, four, five overs and come out with a fifer and flip the whole game. Um, and I think that's the only, it, it's the only role in cricket that can flip a game that quickly. Well, that is a very, very interesting answer because I think the common one, is usually, well, I just enjoy bowling fast and I want to bowl as fast as possible, being intimidating as possible and basically change the the course of a game, which, mm. to be honest, is something which you actually did touch upon there. And in terms of that mental aspect of the game, again, this is a very interesting question and it's one which I've asked a number of fast bowlers in particular, but do you ever get white line fever out there in the middle? Because beforehand you did mention about getting into the contest, riling yourself up and becoming passionate in the heat of battle. Mm. Is that something which you do experience over the course of a championship match, a list A match, or indeed a T20? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone's experienced it to some sort of level. Um, I think for me personally, I think everybody will be different, but for me personally, it'll come from a slight bit of doubt in yourself, which you can never have. Um and I've always backed myself. I've always been confident. You know, that's um, that's the reason I came to Leicester in the first place because I was confident that I'd be able to make a difference and uh, that I was good enough to play first-class cricket. Um, and, yeah, I think you do sometimes. It depends on the day, you know, um, especially as a young bowler as well coming in uh, and not necessarily having a cemented spot in the team. Thoughts can creep into your head like, oh, if I don't do great here, I might not play the next game. Um, or if this over goes bad, then we might lose the game. Um, and that certainly has, especially in my earlier years, crept into my mind. But I think the the main thing that I need or needed to do was just take a second, slow down and just go, you're good enough. You know you're good enough. If you don't execute the ball, then that's fine. You know, I, I can only control what I'm doing at the end of the day. And that's cricket, you know, uh, as a bowler especially. You know, I, I can I can execute a Yorker. But if somebody moves really late and plays an unbelievable scoop shot, goes for six, 
there's no reason why I should be angry at myself or anything like that, you know. And, and that's where I think it creeps in when you, you start doubting yourself that you go, oh, well, maybe I can't bowl that ball now because he's just done it again. Well, you go, I'm going to bowl another one. And, uh, and, and that's where you've just got to keep pushing yourself, really. Keep your confidence because you wouldn't be there if you weren't good enough. That's a really good point, to be honest, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? Because as you mentioned, yeah. on those days where you do have a bad performance, you might get absolutely carted about the place. That doubt does creep into your mind. It's just human nature, isn't it? And yeah. just touching upon that concept, not only of, of white line fever, for those who don't know what that is, it's basically a case of getting overly aggressive out there on the cricket field yeah. and allowing your emotion to dictate your actions yeah. as a scene that's, that, that's what it is. Yeah, and that's where, um, sorry, I'm thinking back, maybe I didn't get my point across too well, but when you, for me especially, if if thoughts of doubt come into my mind, I, I do try and flip it the other way into confidence, and that's where it can sometimes go too far, where then you start getting angry at yourself because you've convinced yourself that you're so good, if you get what I mean, and then you start going, oh, for God's <laughs> like, what is going on here? Um but yeah, that and that's that's the thing. That's where that's where you've got to deal with with um, different emotions. And I've always been someone who I wear my heart on my sleeve. You know, if I'm angry, you'll see I'm angry, and that's something um, that's something I can't do on a cricket field. And I've and I've learned to control that, uh, especially the anger side of it over the past few years. Um, and it's it's a massive part of the game. It is a, it's a huge part of the game. And some people some people work their best at their angriest. You know. Um, I think, Christ, who was it? I remember watching. Is it Alan Donald? Maybe where he well he came across very angry. Um, but you, you you don't you don't know you don't know what's going on inside his head. He might actually be very cool and just showing people that he's up for the fight. Absolutely, and I think it's common, isn't it, amongst fast bowlers in particular, to have that degree of anger, passion, enthusiasm for the game because that's exactly why you're in the team. You're an X factor, aren't you? You're in there as a captain, right? They're out there looking for same bowling options. They want someone fired up, ready for the heat of battle. And that is exactly why they turn to bowlers like Donald. Another one was Andre Nell, right? Another South African. Yeah, yeah, came yeah. run to the mountain man, right? To try and control his white line fever. One of the most extraordinary characters in South African cricket history. But that is the entire point as to why you're the focal point for the captain. It's to yeah. make a difference. In the game, seam bowlers are naturally confrontational. They're aggressive. They're yeah. trying to get the opponent out. It's part and parcel of the game. However, you have to control it. And that is exactly the question that I was going to ask you, Roman, because it's a lot easier said than done to say that I can control my emotion and when the anger creeps in, I can just dial it back. But in practice, it's a lot harder, isn't it? It's a lot more difficult when yeah. the passion is flowing and you're in the heat of battle. So what I wanted to ask is how you do actually control that emotion in the first place. Have you got any techniques, any processes, any methods that you employ on the cricket field to just dial it back slightly and keep an even keel in the heat of battle? Yeah, well, it's um, it's something I've touched on with psychologists when they've come into the cricket club. You know, they'll, they'll be in a couple of days um maybe every month or so. Um, and they always talk about bowl your ball, don't worry about what's happened, go back, you know, think about something else, sing a song or take 10 deep breaths in on your way back to your mark. 
Um, and you know, it's it it does work to a certain extent. For me, it didn't. I think for me, especially last season, I've learned and. I think you know emotions is one thing that everybody everybody will always fight with you'll always have emotions and and people will have better ways of dealing with it for themselves and like i say everybody's different um but for me i think last season i learned that right i bowl a ball if something happens it's it's almost like an inside smile you just sort of go oh wow he's hit that for four <laughs> what can i do fair enough all right turn around get back to your mark and just try and try and execute your plan um and i think the the only way that you do you, the only way that you learn to do stuff like that is actually getting to the point where you are angry and your, your emotion has taken control um and countless times in the past that's happened for me and um, like i say i was i was a very sort of fiery young man when i first came into the game um and I think I'm I'm lucky enough to actually have them experiences and know what it feels like to be able to sort of try and improve in the future when I do feel like I'm getting to that point, uh, which is something that I, I made huge strides on last season, which I'm I'm very happy with actually. And as you should be, because it is difficult, isn't it? It's hard to try and contain those natural emotions because you know it, it's the heat of battle. It is a battle out there. You're trying to get that opponent out and. Bowling at times is very frustrating, and we see it all the time, in particular with young seamers, when the, the line or the length is going astray and they are getting hit about the park. They do lose their radar, don't they? And it's mm. a result of losing their rag and maybe even just suffering a dent of confidence. And just before we touch upon your county cricket story in a bit more detail, Roman, we talk about Glamorgan and Leicestershire. I just had one final concept to talk about, to be honest, in terms of the, the mental aspect of seam bowling and that's confidence because confidence is a very interesting thing isn't it confidence is something which for some people they're naturally born with they're extremely extrovert people they're very confident they believe in themselves but for other people it's a bit more difficult so in terms of that removal of doubts and the the concept of confidence that air of of confidence within your roman where do you think that originates from are you just a naturally confident person? Is it something which has been nurtured over the years as a result of consistent performances? Where do you believe the origin of your confidence actually lies? Um, I think it's actually a, it's it's quite a big combination of obviously myself believing in my own cricket abilities, um, but also uh, just confidence in life away from cricket. Um, my parents were very very good when I was younger that they they wouldn't send me to a local cricket club where I might know a few kids from school or uh, or football. Football was the same. I I, um, I remember playing. I played for Coy Poith uh, youth teams when I was younger, and and that was oh, ten minutes away, fifteen minutes away from where we lived. Um, when I, when I actually started playing football, it was Marfin and Gresford. That's another 10, 15 minutes the other way. Um, and I went on to Boris Albion. That's another 10, 15 minutes away. You know, it's the clubs where I'll not know anybody or maybe I'll know of someone at a push where I was I was forced to, um, and it was the same with cricket, but I was forced to, um, to learn how to communicate with new people and, and make new friends as a young, as, as a youngster. Um, and I think that's just sort of spiralled into 
into me now where I'm confident talking to somebody I don't know. You know, if, if I've got to call somebody up about a car problem, I'm more than happy having a great conversation on the phone for 10 minutes. Um, and and that's that's where that sort of natural confidence comes from off the field. And you mix that in with your with your belief in yourself in in on a cricket field. Um, I think that that sort of I think you've also got to be realistic, but that's where that that them two lines cross, and you do you sort of go right, happy days. I can communicate how I'm feeling, um, and if I don't feel confident uh, with a certain plan, I'll tell my captain the the plan that I feel confident with, and if they're happy with me doing that plan, then we're off, happy days, and that's where you sort of. That's where you sort of learn on the cricket field. Then you build your confidence, you build your confidence, you learn your game. Um, and that's a massive part of it as well as learning your game to be more confident in different situations. Um, but I think just in terms of pure confidence and, and feeling good about yourself, then, then away from cricket and natural belief in yourself makes a massive difference. It's a winning combination, isn't it? to say the least, when you have got that air of confidence both inside and outside of the game, as you mentioned. And another concept which you did touch upon there is also experience. It is something which just generates itself over time, isn't it? The more that you play these games, the more that you can successfully execute those game plans and those concepts, the better you're going to be, the more confident you're going to be. It's a a spiralling effect, isn't it? So I just wanted to touch upon that because it is such an interesting concept and it is almost abstract at times because you can't measure confidence, can you? You can see it in someone's body language, but there isn't a a be all and end all kind of strategy to improve yeah. confidence forever. So, you know, some really people very, some people are very good at um, portraying confidence as well. I've played with people in the past who um, I maybe stand at mid off and they'll go, "Oh, I'm not a massive fan of this of this plan," but you would never have guessed it. You know, they'd be chest out doing really well, bowling the ball that they wanted to do. And until, and I'm not going to name names or anything, but until this person, say, comes up to me and goes, poor, you know, I've I've doubted myself here. You would never have have guessed it. And that that body language, body language is the biggest thing, really, as a bowler as well. Um, If you you can portray confidence and and portray that you know what you're doing and and you're going to get the better of the better, that's a massive part of it. Even if you don't believe it yourself, if 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 it's natural or you know that you, you're portraying this, then I think eventually you actually do start believing in it yourself as well. And in terms of that experience, finding yourself in different situations, you know, if you go into a new situation and you're confident, you go, right, I'm confident I can execute this with a hint of speculation just because it's the confidence that you think you can do this. Whereas if you've been in that situation a hundred times, you'll be at the end of your mark going, I've done this 100 times already. I know I can do it. And it makes it makes all the difference. It really does. And I think that's such an important thing that we touched upon there is body language. It's something which I really do try and hammer home on this podcast. As a bowler in particular, and in particular your experienced veterans, right, body language is key, isn't it? It's absolutely vital in particular to almost set the, the right example for those younger players in the side that we can still go out there and win this game, even if they only need two runs, right? You've got to set that example. You've got to exude confidence. 
on the cricket field. And it's half the battle, isn't it? If you think as a batter, right, you're out there in the middle, you might be feeling a little bit nervous yourself, but you see a bowler come in and they've been a little bit apprehensive to receive the ball in the first place. They don't want the captain to even bowl them. You're thinking in your head, right, I've got one up on them here. I can play my shots. If you as a bowler can go out there, puff out your chest, right, stand up straights, have that confidence, have that aura, that swagger about you, all of a sudden, you've already won part of the battle. So I think that yeah, is you, absolutely you're an wonderful of advice. Batter's head, aren't you? You're planting that element of doubt. And even if it is out of the smallest seed that you've planted, it is still some sort of doubt in the batsman's mind, which is only going to work in your favour. Exactly. And you need that as a bowler because an awful lot does go against you in this game. It really does those outside edges, the inside edges, the, the hook shots, which somehow sail over the rope for six. Yeah, you've got a lot going against you as a bowler. So any little thing that you can get to, to go one up in that arms race between the bat and the ball, you need to take. So that is really, and really interesting to hear, that's Roman. something you can control as well. 100%. I touched on it earlier about you, you can only control what you do. Like, I can put the ball in the place that I want it to be in, but it can still go for six. Um, but something that, that you can always do well at is your body language. And again, that's that's something else that I've been, you know, learning about and and, and improving myself. Because as a young, angry man, my body language wouldn't have been great because I, I would have been angry at myself the majority of the time. And my head would have been down, shoulders slumped, you know, and, and that's where the past two, three years I've really tried to hammer home on myself. And I think I feel like I'm in a good spot, actually, in terms of that sort of stuff where, right, just show. That's just just show that you're confident, just show that you're, you're happy with what you're doing. Exactly. And not only that, it has a, a ripple effect, doesn't it? in terms of your teammates, in terms of the fans as well. You think from a spectator's perspective, right, if they're watching a team which already looks beaten, they look defeated, shoulders are slumped, heads are down, they've already given up as well. I mean, they might be able to try and support you. Some supporters do try and rally you, but as you mentioned, body language is absolutely Mm. imperative in the game of cricket. And the great thing about it, you control it. Even if you're having a bad day, a bad game, you might be losing, right? You can control the way in which you portray yourself. And if you portray yourself in a certain way, it does have a positive impact on the rest of your team. And who knows, yeah. might even have a positive effect on the game itself and, of course, the results. So we got a little bit profound there, to be honest, Roman. We really <laughs> have in terms of digging deep into the psychological aspects of the game. But it is so important, isn't it? Seam bowling is a lot up here. It takes a lot of yeah. mental fortitude, a lot of mental strength to even go into this profession. So I do think it was a conversation which needed to be had. And talking of another conversation, which we also need to have, given the fact that we're over 40 minutes into this episode, <laughs> we haven't actually touched upon your county cricket story. So in terms of going from Mark Wheel and Wrexham in those early days, how did Roman Walker go from playing club crickets to representing Glamorgan County Cricket Club. So I played Wales age groups from a young age. Um, so I would have been a, probably under 10s, I think, maybe under 11s, um, whichever the first step is. Uh, I played Wales age groups up through to 17s and then subsequently on to Glamorgan Academy. Um, obviously, being from North Wales, very, very tough. 
uh, a very tough sort of traveling three hours for a home game, sometimes four hours for a home game, you know, it's, you know, the only reason I'm here, if you take, if you strip it all back, the only reason I am where I am and, you know, it's a, it's a cliched sort of thing. My parents are simply the only reason I'm here. I wouldn't have been able to play cricket for Wales uh, if my parents hadn't given me everything without going into detail, they literally gave me everything they could at the, at the time get me down uh, down to Cardiff to, to train on a Sunday um, or to, to play on a on a Tuesday um, and fair play to them you know I think it's another thing that uh, as you get a bit older you look back on and you do appreciate a lot more than you do uh, that you did at the time um, because you do take things for granted when you're younger and uh, no that like they they are the one of the main reasons you know, a lot of it is also down to me and I've worked hard myself, I've worked hard on myself and I've worked hard on my cricket. Um, but that first sort of step into cricket and into a good level of cricket was my parents getting me there. And then it was up to me to to, to do something about it. Um, and then obviously getting on to Glamorgan Academy, there's a, there's a great man actually in my last few years of, of Wales age groups called John Derrick. Um, and he, he passed away a few years ago, but and just an unbelievable, unbelievable man, great knowledge of cricket. Uh, and he he saw something in me, you know, my, him and my dad had conversations, endless conversations when we were down in Newport, say, playing cricket. And uh, we, th there was a point where I think we had trouble with a couple of the coaches, uh, maybe 13, 14 years old. And I wasn't playing in the in the age group teams, and we thought I should have been. Um, and I was going to move to Cheshire to go and play county age groups there um, because it, it would just playing the same standard, playing the same teams, um, and it was two and a half hours closer for my parents. <laughs> you know, it, it would have all worked. Um, and then, as luck would have it, I played a game and I started doing well and started impressing people and. I think John Derrick, whether he did or not, I feel like he was in the ear of some of the coaches sometimes saying, look, you've got to play this lad. Um, and yeah, he, he, I've always said it with me, with my parents and my, my mum and dad are always very complimentary of, of, of John that he's another reason why I stayed in Wales, I suppose. And, and, and I've, and I've made the, made the steps that I have with, with Wales. Um, uh, or in, inside Wales going into Glamorgan. Um, and again, a lot of it's down to me. I had to back it up with performances. Um, and then, yeah, got, got found myself on the academy for a year and then got picked for the England under-19s, which was nice. Well, I'm really glad that you've mentioned that because before we get on to your debut for Glamorgan in 2019, of course you did represent England under-19s in the 2018 Under-19 World Cup. So in terms of that opportunity, first and foremost, Roman, how on earth did that manifest itself? How did you find out that you're going to be on that plane and representing England in that tournament? Yeah, well, it's, it started with um, with uh, they call it Super 4s, um, which is like a, a maybe an under-18s tournament that you play, you get a selection of... of your best players from each academy and they play in a a, a northeast southwest sort of thing 
Um, and that was a, that was based up in Loughborough. Um, and I didn't think I did that well, to be honest with you. I, you know, um, and I suppose this is this go, going back to sort of my own uh, standards for myself. I thought I could have done a lot better. Um, and obviously they'd seen something in me that, that they quite liked. Um, and I got a call from, uh, was it Gravs? Um, I think it might have been. And and basically, you know, my mum came up, came came running up the stairs saying, there you go, here's a phone call for you. And, and I got told. Um, and it was all very, you know, I wasn't, I was very excited, but it wasn't like a super, oh my God, this is amazing. Wow, wow, wow. Um, it was just sort of like, right, okay, wow. We're, uh, right, I'm, I'm going to South Africa. Or it, it was Spain, I think, was the first sort of away trip that we had as a, as a team sort of training. And then, yeah, fa suddenly found myself on a plane to South Africa to play a tri-series, which was pretty surreal, yeah. Certainly sounds it, doesn't it? The, the little boy from Wrexham, all of a sudden taking that plane to South Africa and representing mm. England and, and Wales at under-19 level. And from that first tri-series, of course, we do have to talk about the World Cup itself because even though it was a, a somewhat mixed campaign, wasn't it, for England in the end, yeah. ultimately finishing yeah. seventh in that tournament in New Zealand, you got to play in Queenstown. So I've got to ask, what was Brilliant. that like? Because that venue is one of the most picturesque on the entire planet, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, we were lucky enough. Uh, we were based in Queenstown for three weeks. I think we were there for about four and a half weeks overall. Um, we landed, went to a nice little place called Timaru for a couple of days, uh, just south of Christchurch. And we were based in Christchurch for a week. And then uh, just the, the drop of fixtures and, and results meant that we stayed in Queenstown and played all of our cricket in Queenstown for the next three weeks. Um, and the place, is, the place is expensive, I say that much. Um, but just unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. It is, isn't it? And you get the planes flying overhead as well. It's oh, yeah. It just looks like paradise on earth, doesn't it? To be honest, Queenstown. It's an incredibly special place to play your cricket. And in terms of that game that you did play there, can you remember your figures against Canada? Two for twenty-five off five. Done my job for me. Absolutely is spot it? on. Two yeah. for 25, that is ridiculous recall. I wasn't happy that I went for five and over. <laughs> That's why I remember. <laughs> but yeah, no, like that, that, that tournament, I didn't play every game, you know. We, we had a, well, I think I was, and it's no excuse, but I think I was 17 at the time, um, playing in, obviously, the 19s and stuff. And um, and that's always in the back of your mind where you're like, these lads are playing, they're playing county cricket. You know, with we, Dylan Pennington, who's now moved to Knott's, Proved his worth. He's a very, very, very good bowler. Um, Ethan Bamba, again, he's played multiple, multiple years now for for uh, for Middlesex and done very, very well. Um, Adam Finch, who has probably should have played a lot more than what he has for the quality uh, he, he offers. So they were our three main bowlers. Uh, and then we had our all-rounder spots with Tom Scriven, obviously, uh, at Leicester now. And he was very, very good in that tournament as well. So it was tough for me to actually get a, a foot in. Um, and I wasn't bowling too, I wasn't bowling very well either. Um, so it was very tough for me to actually get a foot in the, the big games, you know, like the Australia in, in the quarterfinal or playing against India. Um, so I, it, it was, I, I would have just had to take my chance 
when we played against, you know, your likes of Canada and Namibia, uh, which are the two games I think I played. Um, and, you know, I didn't do too badly, but I didn't blow the walls out that I could, uh, that I could take the spot of anybody else. Um, so I basically had a four and a half week holiday in New Zealand. It's not bad, is it? To be honest, let's face no. it. There's there's worse places to to go on holiday. New Zealand looks absolutely play more games, but just the setting itself and and watching the lads do so well. And we we probably should have made the final in that in in that tournament um, with the team we had. But you know, even doing so well to get to the quarterfinals, I was so proud of the lads as well. Watching from the side, um, and I got to experience it with Prem as well, a fellow Welshman. Which was, you know, looking back, really, really nice. Well, I'm glad to hear that because the under-19s for a lot of cricketers is a tremendously special time in their career. And it's also a very valuable one, isn't it? Because you're learning from the best players in that age group and you're getting major match day experience. That's the other key thing about a tournament like that. Even though the, the end results doesn't necessarily translate compared to a T20 World Cup or indeed a 50-over World Cup. It's still special, isn't it, to go out there and represent your country and, yeah, yeah. and do well in those kind of tournaments. And just before we pick up the conversation about Glam, just one final question about that time with the under-19s, Roman. What do you say was the biggest lesson or the biggest takeaway that you learned from that time in that system? Um, it's going to be a very vague answer, but I just had to be better in, in all aspects. It was um, it was a lesson in preparation. Uh, watching the lads who had already played county cricket, um, yeah, that sort of preparation and organisation for games, learning what I need to do before a game to prepare myself for it. Whether it's bowl three overs in the morning at full pace, or whether it's just turn my arm over, go away, do some stretches, and and mentally prepare. You know, it's. Um, that that was a big learning curve for me at such a young age as well. It, it gave me such an advantage, which was really nice. Um, but also looking at looking at the lads who were playing. You know, we had. Uh, I mean, Harry Brook was our captain, and look where he is now. Just a, an unbelievable talent. Uh, Will Jacks as well has done unbelievably well, and and these lads have always had the talent. And I've already mentioned the bowlers, uh, the bowlers who have who've gone on to do great things already. Um, it was just a great, great learning curve and a great bunch of lads to be around as well. Um, so, yeah, that, that sort of learning, I think, it was an all-round sort of learning about cricket, just got to be better, be more accurate, um, be fitter, prepare better, organise better. Um, and, yeah, and, you know, it, it's, it's not something that I, I look back on and go, oh, I wish I was this, I wish I was that, because I'd not been exposed to such a high level of, of cricket and and uh, such a high level of players, I'd say. You know, I played I played a couple of years as second team cricket with Glamorgan, um, but it was it was just a, another level of when you talk about preparation. It was another just the scrutiny that people put on every little thing you've got to do to be your best, and I'd never experienced that. And that's the entire point of the under nineteens, isn't it? It's mm. to learn those lessons and put them into practice with regards to preparation, with regards to the match day itself. That's the entire reason it exists. And I'm really, really glad that it had such a positive impact 
on the next stages of your journey because that is the entire reason why that program that pathway exists in the first place and of course Roman the following year in 2019 you made your professional debut for Glamorgan County Cricket Club and to say that this was a special debut is a little bit of an understatement it was actually historic and I'll get to the context of that in just a few minutes but in terms of that day itself what can you remember about stepping onto that field for the very first time down on the south coast at the first central county ground in Hove and representing your boyhood club of Glamorgan? Yeah, it was very, um, it's, you know, you look you look back on it and, like I said, quite, what is it, four years ago now? Um, fleeting memories, I would say. My memory's not the greatest at the best of times, but um, I remember the feeling of of stepping over the the big padded ropes, and obviously it was a TV game. Um, the closest thing I'd come to playing on TV was with the 19s, um, and obviously your live streaming services that came into it at that time. Um, and it was it was very weird. Like it, it was, I, I was confident because I'd done I'd done really well in in weeks leading up to that. Uh, but it was all sort of everything felt very big you know the 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 slope at sussex felt really big you know the 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 grass was so flat and it's just small things like that where you look around and you just go whoa this is quality this is unbelievable and, and you especially with a debut you're thinking about the cameras you're standing in the field like this i i best not pick my nose here there could be a camera on me do you know what i mean <laughs> um there's the, the, the that feeling that everything was so big was um I love that feeling. I, I love walking into like like the MCG. I was lucky enough to go away to Australia for a winter and watch a Boxing Day test match. But you walk into the MCG and you go, oh, this is massive. And that feeling, um, sort of the, the more you play in these stadiums goes down, you get used to it. And and that feeling, yeah, I, I do miss that feeling when you walk into somewhere and you feel like the place is big because you you feel like you've got to prove yourself a little bit. And it's amazing, yeah. Um, but what a day that was. It was a lovely sunny day as well. So it was, it was perfect. It certainly was, and that's just the start of the day. We have to mm. talk about the, the finish because it was quite the start, wasn't it? Not so much with the ball, but in particular with the bat in hand because... You hit the winning six in what proved yeah. to be Glamorgan's highest ever list day run chase. It was an absolutely extraordinary second inning. So in terms of, of that particular innings and that particular run chase, what can you remember about that? And I suppose the follow-up question to that question would be, what were the nerves like? Because given the state of that six, didn't look like there were too many on that particular occasion. Well, no, I think um, I think when I came in, we needed nine off maybe a couple of overs um and yeah i remember my to be fair my first ball i i creamed through cover for one and it was better than i'd hit a ball all season to be honest um and it was mia hamza mia hamza came round the wicket and he just bowled one outside off and it, it was almost as if without thinking i've just right bang and i hit it really well and i was using craig mashada's bat as well because all my bats are broken um, so it just pinged off and it was far better than any of the bats I had at the time. So I was like, Oh, that's nice. Um, and my second ball, 
Uh, I'm not going to go through ball by ball for anybody listening. I only faced three balls in the inning, so it's a very, very short story. Um, the second ball rushed me a little bit. It was almost rib height, and I sort of tried to get it away for one and didn't. And uh, I think I was lucky to get that second ball because I'd seen one that goes in short with Mir Hamza, and then he bowled one sort of hip high again, and I just thought, right, I'm cashing in. And I just swung the bat at it, and it... It went over Dave Visa's head, I think, at, at mid-wicket for six. And yeah, just a, and just just good memories. You know, I gave Dan Douthwaite at the other end a big hug. He got 50 out of 30 balls. He batted like a demon. Unbelievable. Um, and yeah, just the, you know, the roar from the changing room and just everything packed into one. It was a perfect finish to the day. It certainly was. And just the, the icing on the cake there, obviously is the fact that it was history, wasn't it? The highest list day run chase in the club's history. And not only were you part and parcel of that occasion, but you hit the winning runs. So that's just even yeah. more sweeter, isn't it? That is the cherry yeah. on top of that particular <laughs> cake. I've got a great memory of Dave Harrison. Um, and as far as I know, I'm not sure what the structure is at Glamorgan at the moment, but as far as I know, he is the bowling coach at Glamorgan. Um, but he took over the the one day comp when they won it that year. That's Dave Harrison, great man, really lovely guy. Um, and I walked up the stairs, and he he said something along the lines of, "Jesus Christ, from <laughs> like a relief almost because I think we only needed six off nine balls or something, so there was no need for me to hit a six. For some reason in my own head, I've just gone, well, oh, I'm whacking it, and it and it went for six. Luckily enough, um. And, you know, that sort of relief came up and, and Maynard gave me a big handshake and a hug. Um, and I, re- I always remember that from from Desi uh, when I came up the stairs because I, I didn't think about it at the time. But looking back on it, I was like, hang on. <laughs> Did we have that many balls left? Oh, God. Well, yeah, he was spot on, actually. Yeah, six from nine, that was the equation yeah. because that was the, the fourth ball of, <laughs> of that penultimate over. But, hey, yeah. it makes it more memorable, doesn't it? You know, in a well, it's a nice finish. Isn't it? It's a nice finish. Exactly. And on the Sky Sports cameras, you know, it's on YouTube for the rest of time. So, yeah, it's quite a nice yeah. little accolade. It's a feather in the cap, isn't it, on your yeah. debut. And in terms of your time at Glamorgan, Roman, would you say that night was your proudest memory, your proudest highlight from your time with the Welsh County? Or did something in the years that followed almost surpass that in some way? Um, I'd say in terms of a single moment, yeah. Yeah, that was that. That's definitely and, and mix that in with it being a debut. It's yeah, it's pretty tough to top. Um, but I did have I had a very good T Twenty campaign actually this season. I left Glamorgan, um, and I'd say that that as a as a whole, um, I can't remember how many games I played, but I bowled really well that that comp. And I'd say that as a whole is probably my my proudest moment of being at Glamorgan. Um, that I was able to do so well in in that maybe six or seven games that I played. Um, you know, I think I came, I think I got one for seventeen or something like that off my four overs against Surrey, um, and and three for fifteen or something against Somerset, and two massive teams coming to Glamorgan, and I was able to churn out figures like that. I was, you know, I was so proud of myself um, that I've I've I sort of proved that I can do it. And then the next step was proving that I can carry on doing it and keep getting better. 
Well, I just wanted to touch upon that because that was in the season before you left the club, wasn't it? Ultimately going to, to Leicestershire yeah. where you have also carved out another career in the county circuit. So I've got to ask with regards to that move, where did that originate from in the first place? Because given the fact that you had such a, a promising T20 campaign in that season, what was it that ultimately made you decide that I need a fresh start, I need to go to pastures anew? Why did you actually leave Glamorgan to go to Leicestershire in the first place? It was it was more opportunity, really. Um, Glamorgan had such a good side, a, a, such a good bowling side. Um, I felt that at my point in, in my career at that point, turning 20, it was the right time for me to get a lot of cricket in if I could. Um, and first class cricket, especially. And I, you know, I think the just the bowling side they had, they had Martian Delang at the time, Tim van der Guten, Michael Hogan, um, Graham Wag may have still been there as well. Um, and you've got lads like Dan Douthwaite coming through as well, playing the all rounder role, which is obviously the role that I would have, um, tried to slot in as as well. Um, and then uh, they signed James Harris, uh, Jamie McElroy, who did amazing last season. Um, he had all these lads and a short-term sort of thinking the next couple of seasons, I'm like, do you know what? I'm, re- I'm just not going to get a shout in first class just because these lads are so good. You know, something drastic would have had to happen where two, three, four injuries would have had to happen for me to get a game in the in the Red Bull stuff. Um, and that's how I saw it. So, you know, I spoke to my agent and Paul Nixon got in 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 contact. And and that's what I was looking for, basically, you know. And and although I'd had such a good T twenty comp, again, because we got such a good bowling side at Glamorgan, I didn't see myself starting in a comp or anything like that. And I and I would have played a role, I'm sure, in the in the one day stuff and, and the T twenty stuff in the next couple of seasons. But ultimately, I think my my biggest learning, um, my biggest learning would have come from Red Bull cricket and surviving the long format of the game uh, at such an early age and learning about it. So my my move to Leicestershire was basically for opportunity in all three formats. Um, and you know, it's it's turned out you know we're, we're two years down the line, and and I've not played as much cricket as I would like to. Um, and it's you know it's both sides. It's it's Leicester thinking, well, actually, I think this lad has got you covered at the moment, Ron. And the other side of it will be me not doing as well as I could have. Or, or at the time, or when, when opportunities arose, I wasn't in great form. Um, so, yeah, but it was the right move. Um, and, yeah, I think... You know, it's it's hindsight's an amazing thing, and and I, and I could have done a few things differently at Leicester um, to to make myself better, and ultimately would have given me a better opportunity at Leicester as well. Um, but yeah, I think the the club Leicester Leicester the club in general is amazing. The people around the club, I absolutely love them to bits, uh, and all the lads are great, uh, real real good lads. It's a proper family, um, so. Although I've not, in terms of cricket, played as much cricket as I would have liked to. Um, and I understand the reasons for all that. And it's down to me ultimately as well. Um, I've absolutely loved my time here so far. Um, it's it's just enjoyable to be here. You know, you've got great lads around you. 
So when you're away from cricket, you can enjoy yourself, go for a coffee or, you know, Saturday night, if you've got a couple of a couple of days free afterwards, we can go for a couple of drinks down the pub and, and just chat all night. And it's 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 just a really great place to be. Well, it certainly comes across that way. And we've been lucky enough to have a number of the Leicestershire lads on this podcast. And every single one of them has been absolutely fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant bunch. And uh, without going too much off topic, it does just remind me of a little bit from the Arsenal All or Nothing series. It's a half-time team talk right, by Mikel Arteta. And he's talking about the, the cliche coaching story of what's better, the journey or the destination. And Alex Lacazette immediately puts his hand up and he says, the destination, right? And I don't think that was the, the answer which Arteta yeah. was looking for at all. Every coach wants it to be, well, it's the journey towards that destination. It's how you're actually going to reach that path. But the way in which he, he turned it around and he said, well, there's actually a third factor and it's the company. And I feel like at Leicestershire, you've got excellent company because obviously the game days are massive, right? And you're looking for results, you're looking for victories. But not every single day that you spend with those lads is in a dressing room, on a cricket pitch, playing a game of championship, one day cup or T20 cricket. You've got to have a life outside of that. You've got to have camaraderie and a team chemistry. And it's something which just exudes in that Leicestershire dressing room at the moment. It's a great bunch of lads. You all seem to get on very nicely. And yeah, that camaraderie, that chemistry, ultimately last season, paid off massively with the Metro Bank One Day Cup. So I just think it's so important to have that togetherness, that unity as a team, especially when as a club, you can't go out there and splash the the cash on big name talent, right? You can't go out there and get a Nathan Lyon, a Steve Smith, for example. It makes it even more important when you've got that unity. So, yeah, just big up to Leicestershire. I thought they deserve a little yeah. bit of a shout out for today's podcast. And, yeah, very, very exciting times in the East Midlands, to say the least. But just before we get on to our main conversation, Roman, about Leicestershire and we get towards the concluding segments of today's podcast, just one final, somewhat profound question about Glamorgan. With the power of hindsight and retrospects, both wonderful concepts in themselves, how would you reflect and summarise your time with your boyhood club? Because ultimately you did make your debut, you got your route into professional cricket via Glamorgan, but I also feel like there's that underlying sentiment of wanting more opportunities, in particular in the Red Bull format. So in hindsight, how do you summarise and reflect on your times with the Welsh outfit? Honestly, amazing. Amazing. And I can't thank him enough for for giving me the opportunity to uh, to get into this you know this game uh, on on a professional level um and like i say that the move was off my back you know it was my choice it was nothing to do with glamorgan you know they weren't saying anything that had that had forced me to move or anything like that or wanted me to move um it was it was literally just this is how i saw it at the time and the uh, and i think the lads understood it as well um, and I was a young lad, you know, I wasn't a massive name in the change room. I wasn't a massive personality in the changing room. Um, but I think from the lads I spoke to, they were like, yeah, no, we, we completely understand your thinking. Um, and, you know, they're, they're another another great bunch of lads, real, real good bunch of lads. Um, and, yeah, the, to to accommodate me for my first few years in, in professional cricket, I, I can't thank them enough. And... Again, like they, they, they'll always have a soft spot in my in my heart because, like I say, it is a boyhood club, and and Wales 
age groups is called Wales age groups. I actually think they might have changed it to Glamorgan pathway now, but it is it, it is just Glamorgan through and through, and everybody there, the coaches, the backroom staff, the 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 guys at the top, the you know the CEOs and what have you, all the way down to the to the players and and the coaches are just unbelievable people, and I I've really really enjoyed my time there. Well, I'm glad to hear that, to be honest, because especially when you're born in Wales itself, Glamorgan just takes on a completely separate meaning, doesn't it? Because you're not just representing South Wales, you're representing your boyhood nation. And it's so, so special. It's something which very few cricketers ever get to experience. So to be honest, Roman, I'm really glad that you had such an, an enjoyable time down in Cardiff and indeed at Glamorgan, because it's important. And as you mentioned, they gave you that first step. They gave you the grounding. They put you on the right path to succeed in professional cricket. And that journey has now taken you to Grace Road. It's taken you to the East Midlands County of Leicestershire. So I always think it's important. Remember your roots. Remember where you've come from, whether that's all the way back to Mark Will and Wrexham or indeed at Glamorgan. It's so important just recognise and appreciate the steps and the journey that you've been on so far. And Talking of Leicestershire County Cricket Club, Roman, because that is your current county and the current champions of England and Wales in the list A format. It's quite a nice time to be associated with Leicestershire County Cricket Club, isn't it? After that fateful day at Trent Bridge and the heroics of Harry Swindles and Josh Hull. In terms of your highlights from your time at Leicestershire so far, is there one particular day, one particular moment, one particular memory which stands out above all others per se? Well, there's there, there's two, so there there's the oh we'll say three. Uh, so I, I got my first one, first class debut actually against Glamorgan, uh, which was a weird situation. Um, my I think my first contribution to the game, I managed to get sixty odd on 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 debut there. Uh, on a very, very flat wicket, just put that out there. I think we'll come on to how flat it was in a second. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so that that was really good, you know. Um, and my first first-class wicket uh, couldn't be anybody else but David Lloyd, the only other lad from Wrexham playing first-class cricket. Uh, grew up 10 minutes away from each other. Obviously, he's a few years older than I am. Um, but he grew up in Brumbo and... I grew up in Guersel, so you know that, that was that was a nice it's a nice touch, sort of a you know a poetic touch on on a debut. Um, and then I I said another memory is five for against India uh, in a touring match. Um, still can't believe that happened. Uh, and then uh, I, I think I managed to get thirty odd in that game as well, which was nice. Yeah, you did. Uh, Surprised right. you mentioned that actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played a couple of nice shots and a couple of ropey ones, but uh, yeah, managed to back with Rishabh Pant, which was an eye opener to say it the least. I think he scooped Umesh Yadav for six over fine leg, and I said, "What the hell was that about?" And he said, "It's a safe shot. There was no fine leg, you know." So <laughs> different outlooks on the game, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, I think the the biggest memory, the biggest memory as a team. Um, would be that that one day comp win last year, um, and not so much just the, the the final as a whole day is the one memory. It's just the whole comp in general. You know, I managed to get six for on my debut against uh, on my birthday against Kent. Uh, again, just a, a weird a weird poetic touch on 
on stuff that I've I've done. Um, and yeah, that ultimately that first few games in the comp, I think we realised we're going to smash this. You know, we beat Surrey, chased down a massive score at Surrey. Kimby, uh, Louis Kimber, batted like a genius that day, and and Vian Mulder as well. Um, but we, we we had such a good team. I feel like from the start we should have won it. You know, there 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 were teams who were um, lucky or unlucky enough to have lads who were in the hundred. Um, so they obviously weren't at their strongest, and I think we we were probably at our strongest. And and we went into the competition knowing that in the back of our minds we should win this. And that's that's big pressure to put on yourself as well. If if anybody did put pressure on themselves with that uh, thought. But wow, we played some seriously good cricket, some seriously good cricket. And whether I was playing or whether I was doing 12th man, it was just such an enjoyable time, such an enjoyable comp. And to get to Trent Bridge and, and the, the the Leicester fans in the corner, I think they'd been down to Southampton, the, the footy fans the day before, got a result down there and come back up the day after to, to watch us. And they, they, the fans were unbelievable. It's the loudest crowd I've played in front of just unbelievable and just the way that the game fell as well the, the fact that we were <coughs> something stupid like 20 for 5 and then Swinney coming out and I'm pulling that innings out of nowhere and Sam Evans as well shout out to him getting 60 odd and cramping up for the next two and a half hours forcing me to field at deep square in front of the fans which I can only thank him for because I really enjoyed my time there to be honest I was really I was really unhappy when he came back on and said yeah my cramp's fine I said oh Smev what are you doing um but now and then to, to to get it to the last ball um and big Hully wow I mean just a young lad like that to be to be put in that situation and do as well as he did I think shows the talent that he's got and and the mental capabilities that he, he possesses uh, for such a, a young lad. Just unbelievable. The whole day into into one that was just, I can't believe it, you know. Can't believe it. It, it still doesn't feel real, does it? To be no, honest. No. And I, I say that as someone coming from a completely neutral perspective, right? I'm a massive Warwickshire fan, but I was there at Trent Bridge. And as you mentioned, those Leicestershire fans from Bull One, right to the end were absolutely magnificent first and foremost and it was just poetic wasn't it the way in which the day actually almost ebbed and flowed and it really did start in Hampshire's favour you mentioned that terrible start and then two lads from Leicester the pride of Leicester Ivanhoe Cricket Club Harry Swindles and Sam Evans coming out there being the heroes in that first innings and then the young academy lad Josh Hull who had been getting a lot of stick a lot of stick towards the right-hand side of the, the media box. So at the big pavilion end at <laughs> Trent Bridge, he was getting all sorts of stick from the Hampshire what fans. Is, but What were they saying? All, all sorts. They did the Mitchell Johnson chant to him. <laughs> been on that. I'm not going to repeat the, the yeah. language used in that chant, but involves bowling sure to the left and sure bowling to the right. That. Yeah, I'm sure he would have loved that, Holly. <laughs> well, he certainly did by the end because he had the last laugh, didn't he, with that incredible spell. And... Yeah, it's just a memorable day, and we'll touch upon that in due course, Roman, because before we do, just those other two performances. First and foremost, the, the debut. You mentioned about the, the surface being flat. I think you know exactly what's going to come out of my, my mouth next. But um, Yeah, and guess who, yeah, Sam... guess who rolled the ball to get him to what he did? 
<laughs> oh, I think I haven't forgotten that. Well, I was going to ask right. about that. Sam Northeast's 410 not outs, um, the highest first-class score in England and Wales since Brian Lara's 501. What was that like, bowling to him on that day? Tough. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. it was. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, a combination of a lot of things. Obviously, we we got off to a great start. Um, I think I actually think Lloydie got out off for no ball, off righty, maybe even the first ball of the innings. Um, but certainly very early on. Um, and then I obviously managed to get him out and we may have even got another quick one. Um, oh, actually, no. Am I wrong? Colin Ingram might have batted three and then Sam Northeast might have batted four. So we may have only just got that one early wicket. Um, and then... No, I am right. Two early wickets. And, yeah, then Colin came to the crease. Great man. Started striping it everywhere. Um, we realised then that it is as flat as we made it look. And uh, and then Sam Northeast, just everything about him, he doesn't tap his bat or anything like that. So the first few balls bowling to him, I wasn't quite sure if he was ready. You know, it's sort of a, it's like a, it's a cue that you don't really think about that batters tap their bats and then get up in their stance and they're ready. And then you go, right, I'm going to bowl a ball. But he just sort of steps onto his middle stump and he's ready. <laughs> I found that really weird at first. Um, and then, you yeah, know, it's fair to say I was used to it by the time he clocked up 400. Um, and we were trying all sorts. I think I, I, I hadn't bowled for maybe two, two and a half hours. And then it looked like they were getting close to declaration. Um, we thought, obviously, they would have let him get to 400 and then declare, um, which is ultimately what they did. I think they left it a couple more overs. But, yeah, I, I, I thought we may as well try something. I'll come round the wicket and I'll try and bowl wide outside off stump and mix it up with a slower ball. And uh, that's the ball I bowled. I bowled a slower ball outside off. And it turned out to be a complete half volley. And he whacked it back over my head for six to bring up 400. And that was the video that was going round for about five weeks afterwards. <laughs> so you know, good and bad memories from the uh, from the debut. But uh, yeah, um, he batted so, so well. So well. He certainly did, yeah. 410 not outs, 45 fours. So mm. 180 of his runs came from fours alone, three sixes as well. And it's just crazy looking at the scorecard of that match because you're spot on two early wickets. Glamorgan were nine for two in the seventh That's over. Amazing. Yeah, and, and finished... we thought, you know, we're in here. We've got 500 on the board. Knock them over, knock them over again, and we're happy. Yeah, unfortunately, that isn't how things transpired, though, is it? From from <laughs> from nine for two. Yeah, 795 for five declared. It was an unbelievable yeah. effort from Sam Northeast. And in fairness, the likes of Colin Ingram and Chris Cook were 191 out as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah. a <laughs> crazy game. Both of, of those debuts that we've mentioned, historical in, in different ways. And talking of another first-class and Red Bull performance, just before we talk about the one-day cup and wrap up what's been a titanic episode of the podcast, Roman, I'm surprised you didn't mention the wickets from that India tour, because <laughs> the names are absolutely crazy, right? So yeah. 
just for those who don't know Roman, who did you dismiss on that particular day? Um, I've got, I'm, I don't think I'm pretending like I don't know. I'm just trying to, there's a couple of niche ones in there, isn't there? And I'm just trying to jog my memory. So I think my first one was Rohit Sharma. Um, tried to pull me off just back of a length. Um, and I don't blame him. He just miscued it and got out. Um, <laughs> and then I think I got uh, Vihari, was it? Number Spot two. Um, then number three. Was number three Coley? Coley were number three. By the way, absolutely plumb. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, was. <laughs> he, he wasn't happy at. Uh, he wasn't happy at the umpire. I think it was uh, Ant at, at my end. He wasn't happy with him for some reason. But I think once you slowed it down, he was absolutely plumb in, in front of middle, and then the ball carried through to the keeper. So even if he did hit it, he's out anyway. So I don't know whether he's seen that my foot was over the front line or something, but I doubt it. Um, but yeah, that was so bizarre looking back at the at the replays. There. I think I didn't really realise how much he'd he'd given back to the umpire at, at, at the time. But yeah, very weird. It's a big um, wicket, though, isn't it? Let's face it. I mean, I'm guessing I had quite yeah. a few comments after that particular dismissal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Very weird. Like you don't realise you're doing it at the time, and and even now, I think you sort of take it in your stride you just go well yeah i've done it happy days but you, you know you, you see these guys like he's just had an unbelievable world cup oh he's an unbelievable cricketer full stop yeah. he's one of my absolute favorites he's on the amazing. planet right now they're out unbelievable i don't sit there thinking oh i've got him out you know you, you do you just appreciate him for how good he really is and i'm lucky enough that he just missed the straight one um and then i think my last two were uh Judeja and Shardul Thacker. Spot on, Shardul Thakur. Well done. Five Simply. out of five. Yeah, he left a straight one and all. I feel like they've gifted me a couple there. Virat don't miss many straight ones and, and Shardul left a straight one. So, there you go. <laughs> well, still, either way, right, and it comes back to that golden adage, doesn't it, in the arse of bowling. Doesn't matter how they come. Does not exactly. matter how they come. All it matters yeah. is that W, that wicket in the column but yeah incredible five for 24 and five massive wickets as well so yeah I can imagine that would have been a tremendously special day and obviously we have to wrap up by talking about that one day cup final because what was the mood like after that game you mentioned the togetherness the unity the the strong camaraderie in that Leicestershire dressing room and this is an immense result right even talking about it now Leicestershire's first list a trophy since 1985 this was a very, very long time coming. And if you listen back to BBC Radio Leicester's commentary, Richard Ray, the commentator, was in tears. It's something he's mm. waited practically over half his life for. This is something which, for a lot of these Leicestershire fans, is a once-in-a-generation moment. So I suppose in some ways, Roman, even though you weren't in the starting eleven for that day, even though you contributed massively throughout the tournament, that 6 of 43 against Kent was absolutely tremendous on your birthday, and of course you did field on the day itself. Has that actually sunk in yet? I know that's quite a big question, but to have that name tag, you're part and parcel of a team which is the list A champions of England and Wales. Yeah. Has that actually sunk in as of this moment? Yeah, I think um, I think it has to a, a certain extent. Um, but there is still that little part of me that thinks, what an unbelievable achievement. You know, and 
like I say, it's the first list A trophy since 1985 for Leicester. And just the, the history that we've put in there. I think I think the actual win has settled in, but the the impact that the, the impact that, that win has uh, in terms of history for Leicester, I think probably won't ever really sink in. Because you're there, you don't you don't feel like you're playing in history, if you get what I mean. You you don't feel the history being made. But it has been made, and that's why that's why it's so so tough to um so tough for that to sink in um but yeah i mean the the feeling around the whole day really um especially after the game you know i mean you can celebrate and and have fun and show your passion to the fans and, and go and see family and stuff um and you know there, there's there's a lot of my my family weren't there on the day but I know a lot of the lads' families and, and friends and stuff, and you pop into the crowd. They were all congregated on the left side of the pavilion. You go and say hello for 20 minutes. Uh, but ultimately, you're just waiting for that time where everyone gets back into the changing room and you can have your together time. You know, it's not your normal go back, have a team talk and and move on. It's we're, we've just won the whole competition and we're going to celebrate. Um, just, yeah. Amazing. The family, all family and friends. Um, there were some some coaching coaching staff that weren't involved on the day that I come down to watch that were in the changing room. Um, and yeah, just the memories of it. You know, you, you've you've got some lads' wives and children running around, and you've got some lads' girlfriends in the changing room and their families. And and it's just you sit back and you go, "This is a this is special." You know, it was really special. Um, and we were in the home changing room as well for the day. Uh, so it's slightly bigger than the away changing room, which uh, turned out to be quite good with the amount of people we had in the changing room afterwards. Um, but yeah, I remember the the one bit I remember, me and myself and, and Solberdinga went on the balcony for 10, 15 minutes and just took it all in, really. And uh, yeah, we couldn't quite believe it. Couldn't quite believe it. A lot of songs, a lot of happy people. It's why you play the game, isn't it? For days yeah. like that. It's literally yeah. why you play the game. It's to experience that. And we spoke right at the beginning of the podcast about the impact, the legacy of the 2005 Ashes. For the people of Leicestershire, this has exactly the same impact. This is something which those fans will speak to their kids, their grandkids, their friends, their family about for the rest of their lives. It's absolutely remarkable and a sensational achievement so yeah I, I just thought we had to talk about that because even for me as a neutral right I can appreciate just how much it means and for a club like Leicestershire who in recent years have struggled in division two and have been nowhere near silverware at times let alone a one day cup final in recent seasons it was massive it was a spectacular occasion and yeah tremendously special to say the least and Roman, just before we wrap up what's been a fascinating episode of the County Cricket Podcast, I just wanted to ask one final question for today's recording. And that, of course, revolves around the future because we are recording this on the 4th of December in 2023. But realistically, 21 days to Christmas, after Christmas, it's all action, isn't it? As we head into the season of 2024. So in terms of your future aspirations in this game, what are you trying to hope and achieve heading into the summer of 2024 and, of course, the years beyond? 
Yeah, so I think my first couple of uh, tick boxes, shall we call them, are getting fitter than I've ever been. Um, and, you know, this, this winter especially, for whatever reason, I've been really motivated to get myself to the gym every day if I can. Um, eating far better. Um, you know, I've, I've fallen foul of letting myself have a few too many treats in the past. Um, but to get to the level that I think I can be and I want to be at, I've stripped it all back, made it very simple. Um, and I'm just going to be as fit as I can now, you know. Um, I've managed to lose 17 skin folds in two weeks, which is obviously uh, most people won't know what what that is, but it's sort of a it's a, a calculation of fat in the skin or whatever, you know, you pinch your skin and in seven or eight different spots and, and come out with a calculation. Um, so I've, I've, that, that's the most I've lost in such a short space of time in, in forever. Uh, so I'm going to carry on doing that, get fit, um, work with Alfonso, our new head coach, uh, to improve my bowling and work with uh, James Taylor and, and Dips Patel on my batting and pretty much make myself as good as I can be for the summer next year. Well, Roman, it goes without saying, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing yourself and the Leicestershire lads all the best of luck heading into next summer and, of course, the years beyond. I mean, it is just a fascinating time at the club. And to be honest, mate, I think you should be proud, even though you still want that extra opportunity, in particular in first-class cricket. I think your list day performances have been quite brilliant, to be honest, and you should be proud of what you've achieved. Honestly, the moves paid off so far. And the great thing is you're still only in the early stages of your career. So still plenty of time to learn, to improve and just get better and really hammer home that place in the starting 11. So, yeah, exciting times for both yourself and, of course, the Foxes of Leicestershire, who, who we will be keeping a very, very close eye out on heading into that summer because... Yeah, I think they'll be up there in terms of Division 2. Very much looking forward to that campaign in the summer of 2024. But Roman, that does essentially bring us to an end to what has been an exhilarating episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. I've absolutely loved this today. I've just looked at the time. We've been going for well over an hour, hour and a half. So one of the, the longest episodes that we've done in quite a long Sorry. time, but definitely <laughs> worth it. It's been a great chat, hasn't it? It's just been exactly what this podcast is all about. So thank you ever so much for taking the time. And just before we say our final goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? No, I don't think so. Quite a simple human being on the uh, when it comes down to the bones of it. Um, no, I think uh, I think just everybody, if they can, um, if if you're in and around Leicester, try and get down next year um, because, like I say, I think I think last year's win was just a catalyst for what this club can go for, um, and I do think we've got a special season coming up. Uh, I think now the lads have had a taste of of success. We're going to want it again and again and again. So, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, I know the lads, watching the lads in, in training, are giving it every single shot to to win again, to win something again next year or give ourselves the best chance. So, it's going to be an exciting season um, and I'm looking forward to where we can go. So, am I, to be honest. I'd completely echo that sentiment, to be honest, with the likes of Rishi Patel, Rian Ahmed, yourself. Josh Hall, right? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's a really good time. And 
the city of Leicester and the people of Leicester should deserve this because they have been in a very difficult position in the past decade. So, yeah, fingers crossed everything does go to plan and who knows, we'll have to wait and see. Would be nice if some more silverware could make its way to the East Midlands County in the summer of 2024. But that is it for myself and Roman for today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.